minutes, 15 seconds. Good, uh, I say good morning, but that's just not accurate. And uh, it's good afternoon. So, hey, uh, welcome to this uh, podcast as we walk you into what it means to be an energy advisor. Uh, we're speaking from the context of a Canadian context right now, from the province of British Columbia. We are situated right here in Kelowna, which is in the central interior. It's a fantastic place to live. But as energy advising is a national thing, we hope that this is relevant for you and adds some confidence to you as you enter deeper into this. Uh, and I'm saying that intentionally because you might be right at the beginning of your journey going, hey, what am I getting into? Or you might be a seasoned energy advisor going, hey, what's the industry doing and how do I uh, maintain best practices and whatnot? And this podcast right here is intended to guide, uh, guide you with the best that we've learned so far. By no means uh, has this all been worked out, and uh, you know, right out of the gate, we reserve the right to change our opinion and uh, and offer different guidance as we learn more, because um, this path has yet to be defined clearly. So, um, this is the best that we got right now, and uh, and I trust that it's going to help. So, the topic of today's discussion is centered largely around what you're doing while you're doing what you're doing. That was the that was the thought I had, uh, and what I mean by that is that you're an energy advisor. Just put yourself in the boots of the energy advisor, and on one hand, you're you're out there, you know, knock knock knock, you know, on 1754 uh, A Street, and you say, "I'm going to energy model your home," and and you walk through the process, you collect your data, uh, you inspect the things you're supposed to inspect, you take your pictures, and then you go back to the office and enter that all into Hot 2000. Submit that to your service organization. They submit that to the government on your behalf, and uh, and you end up getting back a report um, in the final product. Again, we're sitting here having never seen that whole process cycle through. Uh, I've been uh, clear in some of my other uh, podcasts on the challenges that we're facing uh, with the bottleneck being the service organization. So uh, here it is. But nonetheless, so so that's that's your boots on the ground. You're walking up and doing the inspection. And I think a lot of people, uh, well-intended as they start down the path of being an energy advisor, are going to focus on just that. What does it mean to be an energy advisor and do what an energy advisor does? However, because this process isn't clear and it is drawn out, uh, you know, through the process of the foundation exam, energy advising, multi-unit building, finding yourself registered with NRCAN, getting a service organization, going through your audit product audit projects or projects that are audited by your service organization, any incumbent training that are required, so on and so forth. Uh, you have space to also consider your process. So with this, what I'm going to do is invite you, if, if, if boots on the ground, you're zoomed in like at a, at a hundred foot level and get you to come up to a thousand foot level of altitude to look down on your situation, uh, because there are some things that uh, are clear to us are going to be super important as we walk into this, um, as walk into what it is to be an energy advisor. Uh, we're coming from it as a standpoint of being a, a licensed operating building, renovating contractor. We have uh, well over a decade experience here in the Okanagan. So uh, we've also been asked to consult for other companies across the country uh, because of the way that we do the business that we do, uh, which is what this particular episode is all about. Um, because when I, when I looked 
at what an energy advisor was and 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 the role it does. It was a business case that was aligned with a ethical values case that really made this this path clear for us. Because the role of an energy advisor is to go and make um, informed recommendations based on the data you collected. That's clear. Uh, and National Resource Canada, who's the overarching government body, wants you to have uh, accurate, repeatable results from your measurements. So you need to create a system that says, hey, when I go into this house and measure the square footage, the heated floor area, for example, or uh, the evaluate the type of heating units in the building that and where the um i just want to get the terminology right because people are going to be particular about this um buffer space sorry yes there's so for example if you have an attached garage uh the wall between your inner dwelling and your attached garage is considered buffer space because the garage what's inside the air inside the garage is not the air outside uh it's it's in this in-between space even if your garage is heated, it's counted as buffer space. So you need to make the distinctions between how much of that wall surface is buffer space, because it might be the whole wall or a partial uh, section of the wall, depending upon the geometry of your house. So those are examples. So you need to figure out a way to do that accurately. And I think there's a lot of really smart uh, trades-oriented people that are going to have a great time actually going, hey, I've learned a thing or two. And uh, in my time in trades, that I can actually do a comprehensive measurement and analysis. Um, and some people are going to have different approaches on how they do that, whether it be from the outside of the building or from the inside of the building, and so on. Um, but where I'm thinking, because I'm 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 thinking from the context of business continuity, because I'm responsible for the organization, not just the field operations of the day to day. Because whoever's out in the field has to first of all arrive there. They have to arrive there on time, but they also have to arrive there on time with all the prerequisite documentation that the government of Canada has mandated is present before things like you take pictures of their home, which is because you are, first of all, it's private property. You need to be invited on and you are collecting information that is covered under the Privacy Act in Canada. And I know that there's different layers of that and some provincial jurisdictions and uh, acronyms like PIPA or PEPIDA um, that classify the type of information collected and how it's handled and managed. And, and the organization, now the organization is doing the energy advising is fully responsible slash fully liable for that. And I'm not here liability scaring. It's like just, it's a sense of responsibility. It's like human decency. Come on, if you're going to walk into my home and take pictures of the entire thing and all my contents, hopefully you don't release those photos online so people can see my priceless painting on the wall or my Monet in the bedroom, you know, like, come on, like this is, there's a responsibility here. So we're just going to be uh, diligent about that. But I, I don't know that a lot of people that are focusing on, I'm going to do the good inspection and count the square footage properly have necessarily considered what it means to handle, transfer and collect usable data uh, so that their entire organization throughput process uh, is uh, optimized. And I'm saying that because the question is going to be, can you do one inspection a day or can you do two? You know, that's really what it comes down to. Uh, can you do three or four? I, I, theoretically, there's a limit uh, to how how long these take and how far apart they are and you know, driving and inspection and so on. But um, 
on top of that, I just think there's also some some best practices inside of the organization. So, for example, um, as you're reading to become an energy advisor, you will see that certain data points when collected trigger some warnings for the homeowner, such as um, asbestos or, or the risk of asbestos as noted as vermiculite uh, insulation, which if you have vermiculite insulation, it doesn't mean it's caught asbestos in it. It means that there's a chance that there's asbestos in it. So you end up getting a vermiculite, potentially asbestos warning document. Um, if there is a risk of combustion spillage in um, in the home, and what that means, depressurization can draw the exhaust gas from the furnace or hot water tank back into the building and uh, create a, a carbon monoxide uh, risk, which is why we have carbon monoxide detectors in our home. Like it's like this is this isn't this isn't uh, an uncommon concept for uh, Canadians, but um, it is it is one that you know we you're going to be responsible for handing out documentation. So it says you can carry around little print offs of this in your in your car, which necessitates pre printing and having a portfolio, and you give them the piece of paper and uh, and. So when that warning comes up, they're able to like, here's the PDF on that. And you just hand them paper, which is great, except that's uh, not necessarily the most efficient way to do that. Um, so again, one of the base recommendations that um, I would say to everybody is to have a great digital archive uh, of the different PDF options. So when that warning gets triggered and it's like, hey, this home requires these warnings and you have a responsibility to share that with them, have a link so you can share them instantly. Uh, and hopefully you build out your digital infrastructure. And I'll dive more into that uh, right away here uh, in such a way that you can transfer this information, whether you're in the field standing on the front door uh, and you only have your phone in your pocket or whether you are sitting in your office and you're working on your laptop. So um, yeah, so these things, these are just parts of the process of, uh, of, of what we're considering more comprehensively. So thinking about digital infrastructure, and this is a piece that I believe is relevant to all businesses. And it's just, it's the drum I'm beaten because I feel like the biggest risk that, um, you know, we face, we're a contractor. So, you know, is it falling, somebody falling off scaffolding? The answer is, uh, you know, that's a, that's a very real risk and a relevant risk. And we need to mitigate that risk. But more likely, the very expensive thing that could happen to our organization uh, is somebody hacks into our um, our digital ecosystem and uh, either through ransomware or uh, or maliciously corrupts our ability to operate, period. And, and I realize the biggest risk that we face to an organization when I consider all my staff is emails. And emails because ransomware, click on the link, you know, it's not necessarily as obvious as click on this, you've won a free cruise. I think people are awake to that these days. Um, but it's the email that looks like it came from the CEO to the receptionist, uh, where they click on the link to download the file. Or I had, I, you know, I had a case where um, I had an engineer and it was an engineer, engineering company, send me some documents going, hey, here's the revision to the plans that we had submitted. Uh, and I'm like, huh. And thankfully, that came to me because if it came to any other staff, I'd be like, oh, well, let's do this. And almost out of a diligence to like, hey, let's get, make sure we're on this. They would have clicked the link and it was an Excel file. And it was, I think it was an Excel file. I didn't, I didn't look too closely because I'm like, we haven't worked with you for a year and we haven't submitted any bid documents, red flag. But uh, that was a corrupt file. And uh, that file was intended to corrupt our uh, our infrastructure as well as theirs. They had been uh, locked down uh, due to ransomware, and there was some malicious emails sent out on their servers. And obviously, we were one of their vendors. We we worked with them on several projects. So they um, so whoever locked up their stuff said, "Hey, let's go get people that are going to trust this engineering company." 
Um, and, and that's just that those are the risks. And when they say, Hey, here's 300,000 bucks and you can get your information back. Um, or here's 2 million bucks or here's seven grand or here's whatever it is. Um, that represents a couple of things. First of all, it's money out the door. Secondly, it's uh, no guarantee you're getting information back. Third, uh, the cost of lost business. So uh, that downtime is paralyzing and uh, liquidated damages is a real thing. And uh, let's just say, um, using, I just want to bring this to relevant terms because there was a time in my career where I didn't understand what this meant. Uh, But down days are really expensive. And, uh, and if there's 365 days in a year, and let's pretend you have $365,000 in revenue. What that says is that every day you go to work is worth a thousand dollars in revenue. So if I said, whether it be due to a rainstorm, or and you couldn't go to work because it was rainy, so you went away for a day. But that down day costs a thousand dollars in revenue generation because you now you have three hundred and sixty four days to make your revenue, and you've you've spent one of them on rain, or um, because you have a theoretical capacity in your organization, you can't just always double up days. It just doesn't work that way, especially on a construction project type thing where it's like you can only get so much done every day. And if a project takes ten days, it takes ten full working operating days. You can't go. Ah, I just want to do it in four, so I can have six for free. It just doesn't work that way. But in an office or administrative context where you got a team, these the the risks and delays are compounded because if somebody ransomwares my business, and and I know this from one of the big multinational firms that uh, uh, that I am in relationship with, and they were ransomed, and uh, you know it's a couple million dollars worth of um, uh, worth of ransom, and and the CEO is was intelligent he said they could do this to us now they can do this to us in the future so i'm not paying it uh we're gonna go do a ground up overhaul and he had never considered this he was one of those you know old school just work harder guys and um and was running a brilliant multi-billion dollar organization and uh and widely considered to be an extraordinary businessman but this is just not the area focused and 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 nor should it be he should have smart people that cover his bases like this because that's just anyways i'm not pointing fingers but just say that happened but um the result was nobody can send an email in his organization for three weeks. I believe that was, it was, a, it was well over two and I believe it was three weeks. Uh, I heard this story two years ago. So, uh, and I heard it from somebody that knows <laughs> and the, and the risk there is what is the cost of not being able to send an email for three weeks? Like your business, your, your, your senior level employees communicating with one another, your, uh, your clients trying to get through to you, you trying to solicit new business, uh, the people that you're responsible for not knowing where you went uh, because they can't contact you and you can't contact each other. That's really, really expensive. And I'm going to wager just, you know, dollars and cents. If, if you're a billion dollar organization and you're shut down for two weeks, uh, the, the cost to the lost operations was well over $2 million. It would have been a lot cheaper uh, and simpler to pay that. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying he should have paid it. I'm saying like, Wow, two million dollars is a lot of money. Unless you stop a hundred people, a thousand people from working for two weeks, uh, which is essentially what um, I imagine would take place in a situation like that, because nobody's expecting it. So that's my my case study on why ransomware is really relevant, uh, and it doesn't discriminate. Like, robots are sending out ransomware, so uh, whether you're a small business or a large business is irrelevant, but downtime matters and avoid it. So I think setting up a secure um, server where your emails are are managed and audited is something that's worth paying for. Um, that's just 
really important because if the, the, the virus comes through the email, then it gets into your system. So then I'm going to say have a great password protection system. There are great things um, out there that are, I'm always afraid of free because if you're not paying, then you are the product that's being sold. I think that's a true philosophy in software. So never go for the free version. Uh, there are some exceptions. If you have an Apple iPhone, they got the, the Apple keychain. That's free, but you, you know, you've paid a lot of money for that phone. So it's kind of like built in. Um, and then I think Google has some as well. Uh, our whole infrastructure in our organization is Mac. Uh, again, I, part of my business architecture standpoint here in digital architecture is i want all my all my things my my technology to play well together so uh my phone in the field directly uploads my photos to the cloud directly to my computer when i'm back in the office i don't got a file click share send did i get all of them are they high resolution that's all taken care of for me um and they're also done securely i didn't go from you know my phone to i don't use tiktok or or anything like that but you know like so there's different like you can upload your photo to the cloud or dropbox for example would be a great example i don't like it goes from your phone to a third-party software holding company to the cloud back to your computer in the office and i'm like it just there's too many links in that chain for me uh and there's too many opportunities for people to uh either break the chain and the photos didn't sync or um or break into the the system and again, I, we're responsible for people's information. It's just, it's part of respecting them to make that optimized. Um, and also the other way flow is like, I can have all these documents, like what you're going to need for um, the, the, the warnings, the vermiculite warnings or the contracts um, regarding, you know, Hey, you know, we're agreeing to this time to come to your house at, and to do this inspection at this price, I can send that from my computer and it's in um, my Apple computer and you know, it's linked to my phone. So I have a direct record of that. We can pull on the same file data source. So there's a continuity of it. Uh, and again, I want to minimize paper as much as possible because there's an instantaneous nature to electronics. Uh, there's also a record of it because it's in my outbox that I sent this to this owner. So if anybody ever asks, and they're going to because service organizations are responsible to perform periodic audits of different depth and severity, like that, like different thoroughnesses of the audits. They're responsible to do that. They're going to go, yes, I can show you exactly where it is. And I don't got to go filing, rummaging through a filing cabinet. I don't got to think about where the paper is. I didn't lose the draft contract that somebody hand signed on the clipboard at the, uh, at the, the door for me. Um, because know that every piece of paper that you like, you can come to the store with a contract and they can hand sign it, but then you got to safely manage that piece of paper and then safely get it back to the office and safely store it. And you got to safely store it for as long as you need it, like as long as you're responsible to store it. And that all takes up space. And eventually uh, I don't want to have a vault full of paper. So um, that's why, again, we've, we've chosen to digitize and I'm here's, here's my, I mean, I'm, I'm living my recommendations. I, I run a Mac ecosystem. Um, for my hardware, I run a, uh, a heavy duty Microsoft exchange server, uh, and OneDrive system for my, uh, my, my, uh, documents security because, uh, you know, Google drive and Microsoft OneDrive, they're direct competitors and Apple's iCloud. Here's the distinction that I've discovered, uh, after doing this for, for many years with many employees, um, Apple works fantastic. If you are a one man band and you are like, I am an energy advisor and I do the energy advising and I go back and I do my own auditing and I'm like kind of one, I'm going to say one man or a team. And it's all the information stays with you because you are the hub 
of your organization. Um, Apple's awesome. And you're, they have the iCloud, right? I'm just, there's a lot of cloud words there. So they have the iCloud, they have password keychain. That's brilliant. But uh, that will break down once you start to get staff. I've discovered it's really hard because Apple's really good about personal privacy, which is great when you're taking pictures of other people's homes because they'll protect those pictures like they protect your pictures and so on and so forth. And I'm, I'm so I'm very comfortable with Apple in that regard. And I'd love to just stay in that ecosystem. Uh, however, when you have to share, um, you know, the senior project manager, uh, your ecosystem, it like it doesn't work because the iCloud email addresses that link your information to your personal privacy don't necessarily want to share and nor should they want to share with somebody else's because uh, Apple's not trying to decide whether that's friend or foe. They're just trying to say that this is your personal information. So what we've done is used Apple hardware. Uh, we have Microsoft, because obviously Windows Excel uh, are powerful tools for us in our business. We can use the OneCloud drive, OneCloud, or sorry, Microsoft OneDrive. Doesn't care whether um your your personal device is distinct from somebody else's personal device they care that your login credentials are exactly what they need to be in order to be authorized to use that particular piece of information and um and it's just worked really well for us uh, there is definitely a large learning curve to learn how to use that system effectively so that your information is protected. Uh, I, uh, I just, it's absolutely worth it in my mind. Uh, you're also going to have different tiers of subscription and uh, they're going to range from, um, you know, from $6 a month up to, I want to say $75 a month. So uh, per person. <laughs> so there is a significant cost. Now I, in my mind and what I tell my clients uh, when I'm in the consulting space, it's like, it's a worthwhile investment because it's just necessary. And it's necessary from like, so I can sleep at night and knowing that everything's, you know, it's the wheels aren't going to fall off the bus because some startup app is trying to regenerate something that they haven't quite worked all the bugs out yet. Um, but uh, the government will also require it of you. There are, if you are, whether, even if you're not an energy advisor, you're working with other people's personal information, uh, you also have to handle that responsibly and um there's some restrictions on where that information can be stored and you know i'm not knocking google versus microsoft versus apple there's there's pros and cons to all those and go online and figure out which camp you're in but you know google for example they have secure servers but they're in the states i think some of the pipa or pepita compliance requirements are for the servers to be in canada microsoft has servers in canada so it was just like an easy check mark it's not to say that's why i wouldn't go with a google drive or anything like that I didn't go with Google for some other reasons. Um, frankly, you're going to need to have a Microsoft account anyways, because you're going to need Microsoft Word and Excel, because I think, uh, I believe Hot 2000 is a Windows-based Microsoft thing, which brings me to another point. So uh, it doesn't run on Mac. It runs on Windows only. So we have, uh, we've had to boot camp some hardware so that it runs, our Mac computer runs Windows operating systems so that the uh, the hot 2000 uh operates which is inconvenient to say the least but nonetheless because we have a microsoft cloud server we can anything we load up on the mac side the photos from the project that load up on the mac side are accessible on the windows side of the same computer just it's it's a nice little workaround it's worked for us fine um thinking out loud what else is going to be important for you to know um yeah, managing responsible access to your to the data is is one thing. I'm thinking about all sorts of businesses, and the question that I'm always asking is, what sort of information do you need to collect, and what sort of information shouldn't you collect? 
So for example, we don't collect credit card information. I don't want a piece of paper or an email with somebody's credit card information. It just means now I'm responsible to manage that information. So if we never collect it, we're not under the the responsibility banner of that. Uh, So we just have a lot of, uh, you know, I can take pictures of your windows because I'm required to as an energy advisor. I don't necessarily have to take a picture from across the room that has all your custom furniture or I don't have to go into the garage and take a picture of your Lamborghini or uh, like I don't let's just take pictures of what we have to so that if somebody did steal the information, they would find a picture of a window (laughs) and they would see what's outside of the window. You know, it's like, which is outside anyways, which is exactly public information because it's on Google street view. So again, if I'm not collecting personal private data, um, the, the, the risk and responsibility, but also the pressure on all my employees, like, I just want to train my people. This is, this is what we do when we're in people's home to respect your privacy. Just be discreet. Take a picture of the sticker on the window so we know what type of the window it is. You don't, you don't got to take anything more than that. You're going to be in your bedroom taking pictures of things. Be very careful about what you capture on film because it's permanent. Um, and that's just a common decency respect piece. And we haven't had any problems. So it's awesome uh, just to build the culture respect and honor into the, into the business from the beginning. And frankly, mitigate all the risk that you could face on the backside. Contracts um, and things like that. Uh, we don't process payments internally. Obviously, there's lots of software out there, um, like third-party software that, you know, like Stripe is an example, uh, PayPal is an example, where you can process payments outside of you. So they're the people that have jumped through all the hoops. Uh, you collect your payment, you forfeit a penalty for them to process it. I say thanks for the ease. And, uh, and off to the races. But just make sure when you pick a payment processing platform that you can do that in the field or you can do that upfront via email electronically so that the payment process all goes through smoothly in all the different places you're going to need payment. Uh, and just for the people, just to put this in context for people, it's like when you're at a restaurant, you can walk up to the hostess and say, can I pay my bill, please? But it was a significant shift in technology when they could bring the ATM machine to your table because that's where you were and that's where the payment was going to take place. So it's like, you know, have have payment solutions that are going to work for the people that are going to pay you again as part of streamlining streamlining your operation so that there's less less pieces for you to manage those balls to juggle and what that's going to contribute is to a more elegant workflow uh, which means you'll be able to do more in the same period of time or do the same thing with less effort which just means you have more reserve capacity for that innovation that growth or frankly that vacation uh you know running ourselves or our people to the absolute limit is never uh the best solution for anyone and uh i think we've covered a lot of ground and i know that these are the kind of things that uh, that take time and that take consideration, take money, um, and and it's hard to do really well. Which is why I wanted to have this dialogue because if I was in, in somebody's shoes doing this on my own, okay, where do I start? I think people are going to have a lot of problems if they choose to go with paper because they got to manage that paper, take pictures of that paper, and then scan that paper, and then send that paper and the reports and the whatever. I think you're going to if you do a digital checklist of of as an energy advisor versus a paper checklist, I think you're going to be light years ahead, but you have to create a comprehensive digital checklist that actually serves you because frankly, it is just easy to write things down on pen and paper, but that information then has to get transferred in the hot 2000. So think about those steps, but yes, do think about them because every time you handle information, 
there's time, energy, and focus that you've invested in that piece of information, which means that simple things like writing down somebody's address six times uh, can become quite a significant effort unless that's auto-populated on all the documents ahead of time so that when you arrive on site, that's done. You know, like these, these are kind of the streamlining pieces that with a little thought compound effort over time. So I do think people are going to have a lot of problems if they do paper. I think people are also going to have a lot of problems if they have, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not speaking with prejudice to anybody, but just as an example, you have a Samsung phone, you have uh, a windows computer and um, what do you have? Uh, and, uh, and an iPad. Uh, it, it just, I would say, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> you know, just because every time you cross a technological threshold outside of companies, there's a glitch in the system. Uh, and they've done some really cool things to, to blend them over the years. But like Zapier is, I think, a, um, uh, it's a company that's built on, on holding hands between two, two different softwares and, and bridging the connection, which is a brilliant software. But then you're adding one more link to the chain by either accepting something that's broken or adding Zapier in between and creating the links and so on. It's just skip all that. Just if you're if you're a Microsoft guy and you want to stay in Microsoft and you then just get a Microsoft ecosystem and uh, Microsoft has a phone or just figure out how to use Microsoft apps on the the Samsung phone or the Apple phone and if you're if you're an Apple girl you know it's like rock and roll rock the Apple like but do it comprehensively and 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 don't cheap out and get the Samsung Galaxy Tab because it was on sale because it's the fourth generation old you know like do your do your thing. And this is where you think about, do I want a cellular iPad or do I want a, a Wi-Fi iPad? If you're comfortable um, tethering your iPad to your phone, fine. Or you might just say, I don't want to have to do that over and over and over again for how many inspections I'm going to do this year. And I got a cell phone plan on my iPad. So as I go through my checklist, the checklist is auto-syncing back to the office and it's all done. I don't got to go through anything more than that. Uh, or run out of battery on my phone because I'm tethering as I'm going. And uh, now I can't use Google Maps as I'm driving to my third inspection today. You know, it's like just these are the kind of things that'll bottleneck uh, for, for operators in the field. And then then the business of entering all this information uh, again when you get home. Um, and that just those are the layers that go on top of whatever solution you provide. Make sure that it, uh, it respects people's privacy and mitigates your risk uh, for for handling what is sensitive information uh, for all your clients. Take a moment here, just pause and, uh, and see if there's anything else that I that comes to mind because I, I want you to be well-equipped. I mean, frankly, this is your business. I want you to succeed at it. I want you to be really, really good. Uh, I want um, to see some positive shift in the industry towards uh, high-quality professionalism. And we're a part of that. You're a part of that. Uh, you know, I... I this this space doesn't have to turn into what uh, the construction industry has notoriously always late and always over budget. You know, we don't have to be that that there's no needs. We we can define who we are in the marketplace. And uh, and this is our opportunity. So let's just do it really well because yeah, it, it, it needs to be thoughtful. It doesn't need to be overly complicated because if it's overly complicated, it'll break anyways uh, and people won't maintain the system. So this is the role of the director of the organization. So. That uh, data transfer, and then the service organization. You're going to need to find a way. I would have an honest conversation with your service organization and say, "What do you need?" Because every service organization is different. There's a little over 70 in Canada right now, uh, and they're going to have somebody that catches your information. Think of this package of information. You, I'm going to walk you through the throughput that I see using Lean Principles 
uh, throughput being the start of the inspection all the way through to the end of the inspection where the report's generated and the homeowner says, thank you very much. You need to reach out to your homeowner so there's an initial point of contact. Then they need to agree to some terms and conditions about basically it's time and time and budget. You know, hey, it's on Thursday and I'll be there at three o'clock and it's going to cost this much money. So on. Then you need to do the work of showing up and then you need to do the work of doing the inspection. Then you need to do the work of going back to the office and they need to do the work of inputting the data. And then and then it needs to go to the service organization. Then it, then there's a process in the service organization and or can uh, and before the whole process is complete. The part that you have control over is everything up to when you're in the office and you're performing your, your like entering the data into Hot 2000. What you then do is transfer out of your organization into another organization. And they're going, you can hand them information that they struggle to interpret. Uh, and this can be as simple as, I'm thinking back to kindergarten. They, they taught you when you hand a pair of scissors to somebody, you hold the sharp end so they hold the handle. Whereas a kid, you're like, oh, the handle's what you hold. So you're like pointing like you're going to stab your friend with the, your scissors, right? And they're like, no, no, no. You turn those around, you put, the, okay. So think of it that way, but with data, there's a way to orient your information in such a way that's super streamlined for your service organization or one that's clunky, your, whether it be your file names are difficult, things aren't filtered, whether they be alphabetical or by date. Uh, or w- the question I would have for every service organization, do you want the Hot 2000 report file first? Do you want the photos second? Do you want my um, the warnings and concern labels third? Or do you want it in a different sequence? Do you want them emailed? Do you want a drive link? where I have, I've created a file for uh, one, two, three Bob street. And here's the house I did. And here's just the drive link to the file. And you'll see everything organized there. And it's a live link where you can access and download uh, accordingly. Again, manage privacy, anything, anytime you send a link to things outside of your organization, make sure that that data is handled responsibly. It's still coming from you. Uh, so the, then thinking about the link in terms of complexity is then I would say, is there a login? that I can send a secure link to that you're actually going to be able to access. Because if you send a secure link that's to the admin, I've had this so many times, um, people at Google, oh, we need to add request permission before you can access the Google Drive file. Because uh, my friends will send a, a link to an old email address, but they'll text it to me or something like that. I'm like, ah, like, so I, I see this, I can't. It's 45 minutes, it's an hour, it's two emails, it's four logins, it's text messages back and forth before I can get into that email to see birthday party photos or whatever was sent in the link. So um, it just ask them where it needs to be so that the, the auditor that's looking at your thing is actually able to access what you're accessing. And then the things are filed in a way that makes it intuitive for them. Because what that means is that you're saving their time and their energy, uh, which they're short on. So they're going to be more likely to be able to process your information faster. They're going to see what's working really well. They're also going to see the gaps. You want them to see the errors in your report so that they can go, hey, this didn't work for us. Please amend this. Because what you want is a reputation for producing high quality reports. You don't want it to be so complicated. Nobody can tell whether they did it right or wrong because what they end up, what that ends up creating is doubt. And you don't want people to doubt you when you submit things. You want them to know that you're thinking about them. It's called professional respect. You know, it's like a mutual professional respect for the partners in this, which is a service organization, um, which is how we create like a life-giving alliance, which is also then how I get to go, hey, listen, and when you send it back for us, please have it oriented this way because it's got to plug back into our 
our ecosystem, uh, so on and so forth. But if you, again, you're going to be doing the same thing over and over and over again, because it's emails out, emails and inspections out, reports generated, resubmitted, and then cycled through over and over and over again. So if you're attentive to what the process is for you, you can rock it and uh, have a lot of fun doing it and minimize the frustration that I experienced. So many people are so frustrated with how their uh, digital digital architecture is orchestrated in their organizations. Uh, And frustrated employees are slow employees (laughs) and they're not productive and not happy and we're all goes down and all those fun things are not fun things that end up happening in organizations. So uh, they're not necessary and it doesn't cost much more money to do things. I see much more. Oftentimes, people have an old dead computer and it's so slow and you have to wait for it to load. It does cost money to replace their computer, for example, to a high quality computer uh, that doesn't waste their time. Because I know people, I went to a business where it's like, oh yeah, I turn the computer on and then I go make coffee. I get my lunch ready so that I can maximize my lunch and my lunch break. I get it all sorted out. And if I'm lucky, the pot of coffee is brewed and I pour myself a cup and I get all ready and then I go back to my desk and if I'm lucky, my computer's turned on. I'm like, that's like 20 minutes of my employees not doing anything but wasting time in that business uh, because of their slow computer. That's tens of thousands of dollars in lost productivity in a year. I will buy you a new computer every four months to avoid that. Um, but it's just, these are just real life things. Anyways, off on a tangent there. So saying that, um, minimize the frustrations for you and the people that work with you in your organization uh, by some thoughtfulness in your digital space. Uh, I recommend it. I've seen the benefits of it. We live the benefits of that. And it's where we actually spend the most amount of time uh, when we were considering this energy advising uh, opportunity. And um, because uh, the inspections piece, I mean, that's a standardized piece. It's everything around that that constitutes the business of energy advising uh, that really got our attention. So I'm hopeful that this at least gave you something to consider. Again, your time is valuable and, uh, and that's why uh, we want you to optimize it just the best we can. So uh, have a great day and, uh, and yeah, we look forward to seeing you in other episodes. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Net Zero to Hero podcast. Be sure to visit our website at netzerotohero.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and gain access to our free resources and materials.